0: Uh, for those of you who don't know the Old Testament well, let me tell you a story. Uh, in Judges chapter 19, there is uh, a story of a, a Levite, a priest by birth, who uh, took a wife, young wife, most likely. They always were back then, usually in their teenager years. And after uh, four months, she decided she missed her daddy. And so she ran off. And, uh, and he, she went back to dad, and he... He waited a while, and then he decided it was time to go get her. And so he took his servant, took a donkey, and went to get his wife back, went to get his concubine back, and uh, came to the house and uh, visited with her dad for three or four days, put her on the donkey, and they decided to go home. Um, they couldn't. It was a long trip. They couldn't make it all in one day, so they stopped in the town of Benjamin for, to say the night, and no one would welcome them in so they were just prepared to camp out in the city square and an older man came and said what are y'all doing here and he said well no one would welcome us or take us in he said well you you better come home with me i'll take care of you so he took took the man home and then as, as after dark some people came with torches and started banging on the door and said we saw this stranger that you took into your house we want him give him to us and the man said don't do this evil He said, no, we saw him. We want him. Give him to us or we'll burn your house down. And they they, they wouldn't leave and they wouldn't leave. And so finally, uh, this Levite, this priest, took his concubine and threw her out and locked the door behind her. And we're told, in scriptural language, uh, that they knew her and abused her all night. So that when they were done... She made it back to the house, and she threw herself on the porch and died there. In the morning, the the, the man, the Levite, we don't know his name, gets up, opens the door, says, come on, let's go. Get up. Pays no attention to her bruises and and bleeding. And when she doesn't get up, he picks her up, puts her on, on his donkey, takes her home, and cuts her into 12 pieces. Now, why do I tell that story? I tell that story because uh, this is the uh, month of the year when I answer your questions. And one of the questions that came from my nieces right there in Nashville is, uh, how could a good God create hell? How could a good God create hell? And, And my answer Is basically to turn that question back and say, in light of the evil that has gone on on this earth since its beginning, how could he not? How could he not? Because God is loving and just, because he is perfectly just and perfectly merciful, he created hell to punish the wicked. Because he is loving and merciful and just. He created hell to punish the wicked. Please stand as we read from Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 31. These are the words of Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him... I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord... Thus far, the reading of God's word, all men are like grass, and all of his glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Because God is good and loving, he created a place for justice, a place where wickedness would be punished, a place where wickedness would be punished. Now, first of all, let's just kind of get a, a few things uh, out of the way. One is, God does not enjoy suffering. And if you have any concept of God being a, you know, a torture chamber, sadistic, evil person, that could not be more wrong. Sometimes when we think about hell, like I used to think about uh, my neighbors. I had some very naughty boys who were neighbors. And one time around the 4th of July they were throwing firecrackers at their dog and they were trying to they they pinned up the, the they closed up the dog's hole so he couldn't get away from them and they were tormenting it and then when I wouldn't take part in it with them they started throwing their firecrackers at me and uh and, and sometimes I think we think about like that kind of evil you know the kind of evil that loves to see suffering Those kind of people exist. We know that. We we almost, when we think of God, we think of that. When we think of hell, we think of that. But God's very clear. He is very clear. He says to us uh, in Ezekiel 33, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked was turned from his way and lived. He would turn back. So turn back from your evil ways. Why will you die? O house of Israel, God is not this evil uh, genius who who enjoys torture. He hates it. And and why would we think that? Why would we ever begin to think that way? We think that way because of bad evangelism. Honestly, there's been a lot of, of well-intentioned people who have used hell manipulatively uh, to to get people to be converted. I've, um, some some better than others, right? I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember a defensive end named Reggie White. He, was, uh, he played for the Philadelphia Eagles and then Green Bay. He uh, went to the University of Tennessee, and despite that, I'm still a fan. And uh, his first practice, his first day of practice at the University of Tennessee, he was a freshman, but he was huge. And everybody knew he was a star. And he, uh, it was you know, late July. It was just incredibly hot, an inferno there in Knoxville. And Coach blew the whistle, and practice was over. And he said, hey, Coach, ain't we going to pray? And Johnny Majors, who never said anything without mumbling, he's like, brruh, 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 Reggie, I do what you want. And Reggie interpreted that to mean, go ahead and pray. And so he yells out, take a knee! And because he was so huge and such a leader, people did. And he began to pray, and he said, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that it's so hot out here, because it reminds me of hell and how glad I am that I'm not going to be there. Amen. And the guy who was an eyewitness to this said four people were converted that day. Um, you know, but, but there is this, this temptation to, to misuse hell and want to go into great detail about the evil there and the torture there. And, and that was done, honestly, ever since the intertestamental period. It was done a lot in the Middle Ages uh, when, the, when the Roman church was building up these great cathedrals like St. Peter's Basilica. In Vatican City, the way they funded that was that they would go around and they would tell people how awful they would preach these sermons on the evil tortures of of purgatory, and and they would say, and your your uncle's there, and he's going to be there for a million years, but but for an offering, if you would make an offering, that's a good work, and the Pope has said that your good works can be transferred to your poor uncle who's suffering in hell. And get him out. And boy, that worked, man. The money just poured in and churches were built and great evil thoughts were stirred up about God. And that's still going on today. From haunted houses to well-intentioned ministers, these false ideas of hell are still going on today. because, Because that's what Satan wants you to believe. That's what the evil one who's the the prince of the power of the air what he wants you to believe is that God is evil and he does harsh things because he enjoys them and he he enjoys getting a 2-year-old who who only spoke one lie and he enjoys uh, and then died of yellow fever. He enjoys getting that little 2-year-old in hell and and torturing him for millions of years and that's just not true. And you know that if you just think about it. Right? That that idea is repulsive to you, isn't it? Why do you think it's repulsive? Because you have an innate sense of justice. Where do you think you got that? Because you're created in God's image, and that image has been renewed in you through the Holy Spirit. And if we, someone like me, who is sinful, who is selfish, who is short-tempered, who is short to anger and long in, uh, short to anger and long to forgive, the opposite of Jesus? If I know those th- ideas are unjust, well, then when the Lord who loves you so much gave you His only begotten Son, is dealing with it. You can trust Him. He's going to be good. So, so what is hell? Hell is a place where the where the scales are balanced. Romans 2 says he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek good, glory, and, um, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but o- obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also for the Greek. Hell. The, the judgment day is the day when the scales are balanced, and you need to know that. There is not a single evil act that will not be punished. Nobody, I want you to hear the Bible say this, no one is getting away with anything. And we need to know that because it, it it tears at us, right? It tears at us when, um, when somebody like Hunter Moore d- puts up a website that is filled with revenge porn just for the, the, the stated purpose of tormenting uh, and people and, and ruining people's lives. And he gets, uh, after thousands of girls have their, their private videos hacked and put on, the web, put on the internet with their names and their addresses and they're their terribly uh, just, their lives are ruined by it. And he got a whole two years in prison. And we, we bubble up from inside and say, that's not bad enough. It's not. And the final day is not here yet. But he'll get justice. He will get justice. No one gets away with anything. He created hell to balance the scales. He created hell to uh, avenge his children. Go back to that awful, awful story about that girl being abused and, and, and known all night until she died. I want you to remember something about her. She was God's daughter. And those sins were committed in front of his face. How would you feel, man, if that was done to your daughter in front of your face? God is going to avenge his children. Nobody's getting away with that. Jesus, sweet Jesus, meek and mild said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. That is what hell is for. That is why God created it. Because no one will get away with anything. What is it like Jesus tells us what it's like. The Bible uses metaphors. And again, these metaphors, people uh, love to use them literally, and they love to use them literally to draw these inaccurate and awful pictures. And um, I want to encourage you that they're metaphors. They have a purpose, right? The Bible has three metaphors for hell. Jesus has three words for it. He calls it fire, darkness, and outside. Fire is the place of destruction fire uh, symbolizes the destruction that goes on. He uh Matthew, Jesus tells us in Matthew 10, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who could destroy both body and soul in hell. Uh it's it's a it's destruction. Your the sins that you commit in the body will be punished in the body. And you'll be it's a place where where the chaff is burned and it no longer exists. It's a place where uh, the Apostle Paul says we're, we're refined by the fire. And everything that is not true, everything that's not real, will no longer exist. It's a place of destruction. Secondly, it's a place of darkness. Jesus says in chapter 25, they, they have cast the worthless, in Matthew 25, Jesus says, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. That place In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Darkness. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's anger. That's not repentance. Repentant weeping is quiet. It's asking forgiveness. It's sobbing. But angry tears are accompanied with gnashing teeth. Anger. How... How dare you leave me out here? How dare you do this to me? It's a, it's a, it, we have a picture of that in Luke uh, 16 when Jesus tells a parable of a rich man and Lazarus. And, and the rich man is, uh, dies and he goes into the flames and he looks up and he sees Lazarus there in the bosom of Abraham. And he, and he calls out to Jesus, or he calls out to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, you got that poor guy there. He used to sleep on my steps. Why don't you send him down here to be my servant and put some cold water on my tongue? There's not repentance. There's no looking at him and going, oh my, I I misused you your whole life. I ignored you your whole life. I'm so sorry. He still thinks he can order Lazarus around. There is nobody in hell that wants to go to heaven. There's no repentance there. There's only anger there. And finally, the, the third picture that he uses is the picture of, of outside. Outside. is interesting. In Revelation, we have this beautiful depiction of heaven, and then he, he says, Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and to everyone who loves and practices falsehood outside what does that mean it means it's it's away from god's goodness the glory of this city of heaven is that that god is there they don't even need a sun because god is there and jesus is there and their faces are so bright their smiles are so bright on the people who are in there that that they lights the whole city up and no one no one ha- needs any kind of lamp or light or sun because because God is there. But for those who don't want to be there, they're outside. The, way, the, the best way that hell has been explained to me, the way that makes sense to me, is that God grants everyone their final prayer. He grants everyone their final prayer. Your ultimate prayer, if you're a Christian, is not my will, but died and be done. I just want you. Your your heart's desire if you are in Christ is to be closer to Christ. And your heart's desire if you are an unbeliever, especially an unbeliever in the church, which is what most of of uh, Jesus' teaching seems to be about. If you're an unbeliever in church, in in the covenant community, you're really your heart's desire is to manipulate people and to get as far away from God as you can. It's it's not your will, God, but my will be done. And on the final day, Jesus says, Okay, your will be done. You want to get away from me? Go away from me. That's how punishment's described in Romans chapter two. Over again, Paul says he gave the wicked people over to themselves. He gave them over to themselves. If you remember last week I talked about my dog the worst dog in the world and how much she desires to run in traffic and how because of my goodness because of my children who would be mad at me I don't let go of the leash I save her life every time I walk her the picture that God draws for us of, of judgment is him letting go of the leash we're outside he lets him go He lets them go. So that's what what hell is. Let's talk a little bit about who will be there. Uh, The the ones that Jesus uh, describes the most are the self-righteous. The people that even though they're around him, they trust themselves, and they're so proud of their own righteousness that they don't seem to need him. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. People who are just so proud of themselves for for their uprightness, for their good standing, and they they have no need for Jesus, even though they're in the church. Even though they're doing churchy things like like casting out demons. And and even though they're doing churchy things like prophesying. I, you know what that means? That means preachers. I hope you know that, right? If, you, if anybody's going to be in hell, it's going to be preachers. So many of them just get into the office so they can manipulate people. It feels good. It feels good to tell people what to do. People who are, are self righteous are there. They they ignore and close their hearts to the poor and needy. What's what is Jesus saying in the in the very sermon text that we read? He goes, "You, you saw the poor, the people who needed grace the most, and you could have helped them." Uh, John says in First John. If you see your brother in need, a, a believer, someone in, in the, your church, you see him in need and you close your heart off to him. Don't, don't claim to love God. You can't possibly love a God that you can't see and not love your brother who you do see. It's, it's the ungenerous, the people who claim to be in Christ, but there's no change of heart. There's nothing that, that has gone on within them to at least make them want to pity the weak. And sometimes, we all know this, sometimes it's hard to know how to help somebody. Sometimes it's hard to know what to do, and, and I get that. And, and we di- may even disagree about the best way to, to treat somebody. But if you're in Christ, that desire's there, right? The desire's there. You want uh, to help. I and mean, for those who just close their hearts off, you can't do that if you're in Christ. You just can't. That's who's there. It's not, you know, I, I, over and over again, I know the question most of you all have in your mind right now, right? Like, how about the innocent native? How about, you know, the good person? Honestly, the Bible is just silent. And when the Bible is silent, you need to be silent. But the Bible's very clear about the wicked. Revelation 21 says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. For those who love falsehood and practice falsehood and use lies to manipulate people. Bianca was reading an article yesterday about door-to-door salesmen and some of their stories are just evil. The lies they would tell to get in the door. The lies they would tell to get people's money. It's those. Those who close their hearts and I do want you to understand this God cannot be unjust He can't be So you don't have to worry about over punishment or unfair punishment God can't do it he can't The scales will be balanced and once they're balanced they're balanced Now I don't know what that means and you don't either And neither does anybody else. So don't claim to. There is no wicked person who will go unpunished. And nobody's going to be punished more than they deserve. Not one teardrop more than they deserve. Once the scales are balanced, they're balanced. So why do we need to know this? All right, Ricky, you spent 22 minutes on this uncomfortable topic of hell. You've made us squirm in our seats. I've seen you. And uh, why do we need to know that? Well, you need to know that, first of all, because I don't think forgiveness is possible. I know for a fact. Forgiveness is not possible without an assurance of justice. Forgiveness is not possible without an assurance of justice. Look at play. Sometimes we just focus on the first half of the verses, right? And, you know, things like forgive and, and love your enemies. Well, read the whole verse. Romans twelve seventeen. Repay no one for evil. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. This is a great verse for your Facebook account. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. Why? Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Why can we forgive? Why can we live without anger and bitterness? Because we know that God will have vengeance. There's a, a Christian writer and thinker named uh, Miroslav Volf, and he comes from Bosnia, and he, he lived through the awful, awful wars that were there, and the, the genocides of neighbor upon neighbor, and it was just terrible, And he, uh, and, and he teaches forgiveness, and he teaches grace, and and he says the reason why we can put down our swords is because we know for certain that God has his in hand. And that alone will allow you to live without bitterness. And he, uh, he gets into debates every now and then with people in America who say, but, but God is just loving and forgiving, and can't we just teach unconditional love? And he laughs. And he says, and you can look this quote up, he said, uh, only in the safety of an American suburb could that theology be developed? But if you ever stood in front of men whose wives and sisters and daughters have been kidnapped and killed and exploited, you would know that without justice, there is no forgiveness. I know; that I experienced that myself. For years and years and years, I prayed uh, to forgive my dad prayed and prayed and prayed. I I felt the bitterness growing up within me. I was angry. I couldn't do anything about it. I kept asking the Lord, give me the grace to do this. And he gave me, he did give me a lot. He gave me a lot of grace and and helped keep that that, that anger from just destroying me from the inside out. But uh, the oddest thing happened about what? Five years ago. Five years ago. This is hilarious. Years afterward, my dad wants to get remarried. And he goes to the courthouse for a marriage license. And the people in the courthouse said, Mr. Jones, you're, you can't get married. You're not divorced. He was still married to my mom. He didn't even know it. And so he gets all mad. And he goes and complains to my mom. And she's like, I don't care. You can have your divorce. Show me the papers I need to sign. So he, he goes to get his divorce. And the people in the courthouse go, well, Mr. Jones, you were supposed to be paying spousal support for the past 20 years, 30 years. a month for 30 years. You can't have a divorce until you pay that up. And he gets furious. And my mom's like, I don't need your money. Just go away. But the family lawyer said, oh, no, no, no. He will pay every penny. Took him to court. Had a judgment against him for $50,000. And when I found all that out, and 50 grand's up, It was a boatload of money in Dresden, Tennessee. I mean, my mom had such high hopes. All she wanted to do was go to McDonald's on Sundays. Um, She had all of her dreams fulfilled by that. And, And when I found that out, the weirdest thing happened to me. Something unlocked inside of my heart. And I called up my dad the Saturday before Easter. And I said, I forgive you for everything you've ever done. Justice. I didn't have to keep punishing him. I didn't have to maintain my anger and punish him because he received justice. That's why you need to know that no no wicked deeds will go unpunished. You need to know that no wicked deed will go unpunished because it, it, it keeps you from sinning. Sometimes it does keep you from sinning. What is it, Jesus? And I would never say that. I mean, I never use fear of hell to keep you from sinning. I don't think this would be the, it might be the first time in, in 17 years you've heard me say that sentence. But Jesus says it, and so I should, right? And so this is what Jesus says. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. What's he saying? He's obviously, he's not asking you to cut it off, but he's saying, I don't care how much it hurts. I don't care what if you have to cut off a relationship. I don't care if you have to quit your job. I don't care what you have to do. If you are if something is causing you to sin, stop it. Why? Is, is one sin going to cast me into hell, Jesus? No, of course not. But is there ever such a thing as one sin? You know, sometimes people ask me questions. I, I remember one time... Uh, Either one of them are here, so we can talk about them. Eric and uh, Austin came to pick me up at the airport. And back then, you know, you get one hour of free parking. And so we're, we're walking out of the airport, and Eric's just kidding around. He didn't mean it. And he says, should I push the button so we can get free parking? You know, get a, new, get a new tag. And I said, well, that would save five bucks, but five bucks is not worth going to hell for. He goes, I don't think we'd go to hell for that. I said, I oh, know, but it always starts small. And I always start small. Remember the greatest movie of all time, Lonesome Dove? And they have to hang their friend, Jake. And Jake says, and, and Gus says to him, you're not going to hang me. I'm your friend. And, and Gus says, somewhere, somehow, you crossed the line, Jake. You remember Jake's final words? Never saw no line, Gus. I never saw the line. Just be careful. Once you make peace with sin, it's very possible you're going to cross the line. And and the ultimate reason, the real reason why I've spent this time doing this is because I want you to understand how much Jesus went through for you. How much Jesus went through for you. What was he doing when he was being tortured to death on the cross? He was experiencing the destruction of his body. He was experiencing the fires of hell. He was experiencing that punishment in his body for the sins we commit in our body. What was he doing? In Matthew it says, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. He was cast into the darkness for the sins that we've committed that make us deserve to be cast in the darkness. He went through it so that we, when we go through darkness we can go through it with him. And we'll never be cast into the outer darkness. We'll never be in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because he went there for us. And we'll never be outside. We'll never have God turn his back on us. Why? Because at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had God turn his back on him so that we never would. He experienced hell for us so that we never would. And if you hear that, if you really hear that, then then I have to ask you the question that that God asks in in Ezekiel. Why will you die? Why will you not turn and come to me? God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. Don't force him. Come to him today. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would forgive us for our uh, unfair and unjust thoughts of you, for uh, pictures of hell that we carry around because we've been taught them that are just that make you into something evil and unrecognizable. But Father, we also pray that we would, you would forgive us for the sins that we commit, not believing that ours are deserving of hell. Father, we come to Jesus who experienced it all for us. We pray that you would close us up in him and change us so that we have his heart, a heart that cannot be closed to those who need it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now the band's coming forward uh, to sing a song of of, uh, response, and during that time the deacons will be taking up uh, the offering. Please uh, give generously.
1: my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, and fears are still
0: keep sending them in if you want to. Um, I'll do my best and I'll let you go in about 10 minutes or so. So let's uh, Just gonna take them straight through um, as I got them. Some of these were written before the sermon was done. Can you believe that? What is a healthy way to spend time with blatantly worldly people without becoming more like them? Uh, you know, you should always when you're doing that, seek to show them the love of Christ. I think uh, the prayer you should be praying is that they would see Christ in you, they would experience God in you. It's also wise to be praying that uh, God would not, God would protect you from any compromise of your conscience. He would save you from opportunities when you would need to sin, or we would sin. But that, that's the best thing is just go in with a servant mentality. How can I serve these people? How can I love these people? Pray that God would give you an opportunity to serve and love them. And, uh, and trust him to, uh, to do the rest. I, that's the best I can do. All right. You said, if you are in Christ, you desire to be near him. What does that mean for me when I experience times of apathy toward God? Um, well, you bo- that bothers you, right? Why does it bother you? There are infinite uh, mortals on the earth who it doesn't bother one bit that they have apathy toward God. And it tells me that the Holy Spirit's in you, that it bugs you. Uh, and there's going to be times of growth. That's, that's what God does for growth. He, he, uh, he separates himself uh, from us. There's this great, uh, great paragraph in the Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 5, the last paragraph. And uh, it says, God does, uh, for many reasons, oftentimes, uh, leave his children to periods when they don't experience his presence. He does this to show them the power of sin, the effects of sin. He does this to show them, uh, to chastise them, to, to greater obedience. He, he does this to, to uh, entice them to greater closeness with him. And then they said, I love this sentence, my favorite sentence in the whole confession, and for diverse other reasons. Um, you know, but God doesn't want to be apart from you, and... Uh, it's a good thing that it bothers you. Just ask him to, ask him to come back. All right. What does justice look like for people who have done horrible things to others, but seem to be truly believers? I, I, I do think I know. I know that's a really hard thing uh, because you feel like justice hasn't been given, and you don't want to see these people that you love cast into hell and at the same time you don't want to uh, you want to forgive them but it's hard to forgive them when they won't acknowledge their sin and I think the best thing for you to do is to pray that the Lord would give them the grace, would free them from shame so that they would be able to confess their sin. They need that. Uh, they need to be able to acknowledge what they've done to you and and ask you to forgive them. Um, I believe that the if the Holy Spirit is alive in them, they will. But, but sometimes you just have to acknowledge that it's a lot easier for me to ask forgiveness from one of you than it is for me to ask forgiveness from my kids, right? Because there's just so much shame involved in that sin. And so you have to, you know, pray that the Lord will remove that shame. Um, and there's always going to be questions about this topic in particular that I can't answer. Um, you know, Jesus died in shame for our shame. And there are things that shame will keep us from doing um and we're you know for the rest of it uh, some of you are going to die waiting for an apology that's never going to come and I'm really sorry but that's that's the world we live in uh, in movies you always get closure in Earth you don't but um, you can trust the Lord to do the right thing the judge of all the earth Abraham when he's being told that God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah Kept saying, "Will not the judge of all the earth do right?" And uh, the answer to that question is yes; he will do right, so you can trust him. Could you speak? Oh wait, I got out of order. How does something like Romans twelve nineteen fit in with how we as Christians should view the correctional justice system? Um, I, I hope my illustration kind of helped with that. We should. The purpose of the justice system is to. Um, well, it's a lot of purposes to protect society and to punish those. God uses the justice system to punish those who need to be punished. There's also a ton of uh, unfairness and kind of uh, injustice in anything that's, that's driven by humans. And the justice system certainly has that as well. But, you know, it's, it's, it's been really encouraging even to me in the last year and a half how many people in, just in my teeny weensy little ministry have been converted in prison. Um, and that's, that's a delightful thing, uh, God being at work there. And, and I do believe that we, I mean, the worst thing you can live in is a world without a justice system. Um, if you look at, I uh, can't remember, maybe World Health Organization, but the list of the you know, five nations that are most under famine or starvation is the most common, every one of them has nothing to do with like droughts or anything like that. Every one of them it has to do with lack of order. There's no law and order. You can't get food to the poor. The armies are just hoarding it all for themselves. And I assure you, you don't want to live in a world without, you know, with no justice system. And those exist. So, uh, yeah, they, they are supposed to be doing God's work. They always will need reforming so that they do that more, more better, uh, do that better. Uh, but, um, yeah. What's the deal with Purgatory. Uh, uh, I, purgatory is a belief that uh, you go to hell for a little while to pay for your sins, and when you pay for your sins, you get to go to heaven. Um, I do not believe the Bible teaches that. I think that Jesus paid the full price for our sins, and that um, we, uh, when he said it's finished, he meant sin had been paid for completely. And Hebrews says we've already been perfected in Christ. And so I, I don't believe that. I think that's a, uh, a misunderstanding. It's based a lot on, on a lot of the uh, apocryphal teachings. Those are books that were written in the intertestamental period that uh, has some wisdom to them, but, they, but the church has never really thought that they had the authority of God's voice in them. And, um, and those involved a lot of kind of pictures of, of purgatory we do not think are biblical. Uh, Did Jesus literally descend into hell? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know when he would have. He told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, And so uh, he must have gone to paradise after his death. Um, We don't understand all of that. His body certainly didn't go to hell. His body went to the grave. Uh, the, The original, well not the original, about 500 years after the Apostles' Creed was written, the section was added to it, the statement that Jesus descended into hell. We, we think that was to combat this idea that Jesus didn't really die, that uh, his soul left his body before his body paid for sin, and because God can't die. And so that, that phrase basically meant, it did mean, that his soul did whatever souls do when they die. We don't know. Uh, and there's all these words for, you know, Hades, uh, uh, Sheol, hell. But the technical definition of the place where people go after the resurrection of the body and are cast into the lake of fire, he didn't go there literally. We, his body was in the grave. Um, and, you know, there's a mysterious part of that, and there's a very mysterious verse in Second Peter, and I'm not going to tell you what it means because I don't know. Uh, but... Uh, Historical Orthodox theology does not believe God went into hell. Jesus literally went into hell. Do we believe there are different circles or levels of hell? We do believe that there's different experiences of hell based upon the wickedness you did in your flesh. Again, I'm going to restrain myself to say what the Bible says. And it says in Romans 2, you will pay for the deeds you did in the flesh. And so, if you were awful and evil and you sinned against your conscience and you tortured animals and humans, your experiences of hell will be much, much worse than uh, an experience of someone else who, you know, was going, uh, uh. um, So, I'm sorry. That was stupid. Can I have that back? Yeah. Yeah. Someone who did not do that much evil. Uh, we definitely believe that. And oddly, Jesus talks about that. He says, some servants will be beaten with few stripes and some will be beaten with many. But his uh, application was that basically to people who are in the church or were in the uh, Old Testament church, he said the one who do- uh, knew his master's will and did not do it will be beaten with many stripes. And so that is uh, that's a good warning to those of us in the church. Not going to answer that one. All right, what's the theological explanation for people dying, uh, children dying before birth? I don't know. Not one. So um, we're going to trust the Lord. He's going to do the right thing. And I guarantee you, when you see what Jesus did, when you see what God did at the Judgment Day, you're going to go, that was right. I promise you that. Um, But I'm not going to tell you things that the Bible doesn't answer.